Welcome to the Trade Busters Podcast. This is your host, Kirk. In this episode, we're going to catch up with David to get the rest of his story and what he's been up to since appearing on Tasty Trades Rising Stars back in 2019. David's story and how he got started in the market has been covered in a variety of different shows. So in this episode, we're going to catch up with David and see what he's been up to since appearing on Rising Stars. Who am I, though? My name is Kirk, and I've been trading since 2019. I did the reckless thing for a bit with some ups and downs along the way before I kind of reined it in and really started trying to learn. And I stumbled on a Facebook group and that's where I met David at. And him and I have talked just about every zero DTE day for the last three years, discussing strategies, options, just dumping on each other on bad days. Um, (laughs) But David has been a treasure trove of information. He offers fresh ideas and perspectives outside of the usually what is just a rephrased version of Tasty Trade Mechanics. So allow me to welcome our guest onto the Trade Busters podcast. This is David Sun. Hey, Kirk, that was good. <laughs> yeah, like I said, uh, Kirk tried to show me the intro, but I was like, just do it. You know, we'll go with it. But no, thank, thanks for doing this. Yeah. You know, like I said, uh, I, I want to kind of fill in the gap a little bit, uh, kind of go back to around the time I got on the Tasty Trade show and talk about how that happened and what I've been doing since then, you know, but I, I, I was like, you know what, it might be kind of weird just to talk for an hour, you know? So, you know, we got, you, you've been, uh, like I said, we've been chatting for a while, so you know me pretty well, figure we could at least have someone at least like react or give a laugh or something. Right. So if something comes up, but, um, but yeah, no, thank, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Uh, I think that's a good place to start though. Let's kick things off. Um, yeah, let's start right at Tasty Trade with Rising Star. So, how how does that work? So, in my head, I imagine Tasty Trade like monitoring their users, and they have a watch list of like their best performing traders. Like, do they reach out to you, or did you have to contact them, or is it like a, a networking type of thing where like a, you knew a guy that knew a guy? Like, how did I, that even happen? It, it's it's nothing like what people normally. I honestly, I just reached out. But um, before we get into that, I think it will make sense to kind of go back a little bit because. People who have watched, and if you haven't, go ahead and watch that segment because that timeline of what I gave of how I got into the markets and everything, that's all, you know, that's all true. Um, but what I kind of had to leave out just because some of the stuff we had couldn't get into, some of the stuff was uh, just lack of time because you know it was really crunched. Um, so I mentioned on air that I'd been a member of these uh, Facebook groups and you know, you know, the two I've been talking about, right? The the Tasty Trade and Beyond, I think it's called in the Tasty Trade options. So I had actually, you know, I found Tasty Trade 2017, was there for a few months. Then I just looked online, found Tasty Trade. So I was in those groups and I was kind of posting and just connecting with traders and stuff. And, you know, so I, I don't remember how long ago you were in there or when you first came across my stuff. Um, but around that time, I was learning a lot, right? From Tasty Trade, from other traders, kind of building my confidence. And so what happened was I, and I say this in every show that this topic comes up, but I don't know what it got in me to basically start a hedge fund. I, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm confident. I have a pretty big, big, pretty big network. So why don't I just ask around, try to raise some money? Obviously that, you know, <laughs> I'll get into that. I didn't go too great in the beginning in terms of the raising money, but I got that harebrained idea to launch a hedge fund. And I got the paperwork, did some research, put that together. And that was actually, I went live with that first fund October 1st, last quarter of 2018. And so the timeline of getting on Tasty Trade, you know, I, I recorded that in November 2019, right? So it's actually been about a year, but yeah, about a year later. Yeah. So kind of like going into that first year, 
I was like, you know, you know, I've been in the Tasty Trade group. I know people follow the show. They, and I, I knew about the Rising Star segment. And I was like, you know, I think it would be kind of inspiring for people who see my story going from a retail background to, you know, managing hedge fund, right? Because I know people who, uh, you know, get into options or trading, they kind of have two goals. Usually one is just to make money, have independence and maybe quit their job. And the other one is maybe manage money, right? Maybe do both, right? They don't have, it's one or the other, or maybe do both of those. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of cool. And somebody told me that basically you just reach out. So uh, I emailed them and um, the guy on the staff, uh, Jules Weinstein, he's the one that essentially fields inquiries. And essentially, they obviously want to know that people are a good fit for the show, who follow the content, who trade their style, or at least know the style and can kind of, because you're supposed to, you know, it, the point is to inspire Tasty Nation, right? And so there was sort of a, a couple of rounds of emails where he was like, told me to describe my trading style, talk about my background a little bit, kind of went back and forth. And eventually he was like, no, because they, they can tell if you know what you're talking about just from the discourse, right? Just the conversation. And I think I had maybe one phone call with him. And then once they're like, okay, I think we're a good fit. He was like, you're going to have a call with Tom, right? I had a call with Tom. And then they set a date. I flew in. That was November, 2019. You know, a funny thing was that was like literally like three, three months before COVID happened. Um, so yeah, that was my last flight for a little while. So, oh. so anyways, yeah, that, that's how I got on the show. And that's kind of why and how I decided to get that idea. Okay. So you started the hedge fund in 18. You had the rising star was 19. So how long did you trade before the hedge fund? Then? So like I know you started in college, but like really diving into options and like really refining what you were doing, like 10 years. So the options was on and off for like eight years, right? But 17, you know, finding Tasty Trade, that was kind of the ramp up of the knowledge dump and like taking the, the knowledge to the next level. And people who follow Tasty Trade, they know there's a whole bunch of just random content that they put out. Um, and having the um, Facebook groups, that was a helpful thing as well, because there were people who kind of were into the same thing, bouncing ideas. Now, just a word of caution for people who go on those groups, you got to learn to kind of sift through because there's a lot of just random chest pounding or just like people flashing big trades. And sometimes people blow up and vanish and never see them. So you got to know, kind of recognize the, the, the people who know what they're talking about. But those things, so that was kind of swirling around. And so really it was like, one wow so if i launched a late 2018 <laughs> yeah it was like a year and three quarters of like super focused like intense learning and trading up to the point i just decided to start a fund <laughs> so i guess it wasn't that long but you know i i have like an engineering background math um you know i'm good at math i really dove in and really drank up all the content. So I guess the learning curve, I was kind of able to accelerate that for myself. Now, I, I know for me, most people taking from theory to practice is a whole different thing, but you know, I just kind of put in the hours and, and really grinded it out and did a lot of trading and learned very quickly. Well, I think that's what drew me kind of to you because I'm only in the one group. I know a lot, whenever you discuss like options, especially when you get into like CRDT stuff, Tammy, Tammy Chambliss's name comes up a lot. And I was like watching her and you and a few others in that group. And I think it was what drew me to you is like the math. And I, and, and I will, we can touch on that. Like when we talk about like the rising star a little more, but like, and how, when you do, um, you have like the win rates mm -hmm. and how, uh, for example, 
our, my most recent example I can think of is January. Got slaughtered on the zero DT. But come March, we did great. And when you look at the win rate for January, February, March, it comes, it, it kind of revert, reverts back to the mean, you know? Right, you, right. So well, that, that's the hope anyways. And, and usually yeah, eventually well, it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but that was it though. It was like, I can go and like the math works, you know, there was no charts. There was no uh, fundamental analysis, TA, Fibonacci, whatever. So anyway, so Rising Star was in 2019. Um, back then, I know you mentioned that you traded individual tickers and did tasty mechanics and kind of evolved into focusing on indices. And now you sp specifically focus on the S&P 500, correct? Right. That's right. Um, and, what was the driving factor to kind of ditch everything else and focus on just the SPX? Um, I think it was because I was focusing on the probabilities and stuff. Ultimately, it was just when you focus on one product, you can you don't have to worry about choosing product. You just can focus on sizing and doing the trade and letting the math play out. Sometimes if you try to trade too many things, you know, the, the math may not play out the way you want it to. The opportunity yes there's kind of more opportunities and, and that was sort of the evolution like around the time i first went on rising star and had you know run the hedge fund for you know a little while i was still doing some experimental stuff on the side but eventually that all kind of just went by the wayside when i really got focused on the kind of stuff i do now but part of it was just recognizing that like you know with the tasty trade methodology for example yes it's based on probabilities but because you're dealing with for example, you do an earnings trade or there's outliers, individual triggers have huge moves. You need a pretty large bankroll to be able to absorb and kind of hold some of these larger losers and work them back to a break even or whatever. So it's just harder. I, I think that's what idiosyncratic risk, right? Earnings risk. That's one of the things that just, you know, I know people kind of like the first phase is going, you know, if they're going to shift is dropping individual symbols. And moving to ETFs, right? Because at least you kind of avoid that earnings. And then eventually maybe going from ETFs to something more liquid, which you got the SPIs, the Qs, SPX, and that's kind of the path. And so it was more a product of like the style I wanted to trade. It just lent itself to cut out all the other stuff and focus on one product. And one of Tom's big questions in the Rising Star was, um, it was asking about like, now that you've refined a process, are you able to... Uh, scale it. It, it. What's the scalability like? It's actually surprisingly scalable. Part of that just because, and you know, I get into in some of my podcast episodes uh, about notional risk and leverage and everything. SPX and SPY, those are huge products actually, especially if you kind of treat them trade them naked. And, and then people who follow kind of the Trinity system and you know the Theta engine, it's cool that there's actually products of different sizes. Now, liquidity isn't all the same, but there's like MES, there's SPY, there's ES, there's SPX. And I think there's the nanos now, which I don't think we ever tried to trade those yet. Um, but you can, I mean, if you look at the trade logs, which I post now, like, you know, I'm, I'm trading one in two lots of SPY, let alone trading SPX, right? So there is a huge amount of scalability. And this is, you know, this is a seven figure account. So you can easily trade eight figure, nine figures, probably with at least the approach I do and not have to go crazy with the lot sizes. So I think it's it's super, super scalable. Okay, so, and you went from uh, Rising Star in 2019 and then the COVID crash three months later. So I guess let's just kind of go down the timeline of the last like three years, because it's been a wild market. You know, you had the COVID crash that took us down and then almost an immediate recovery. 
And then now we're kind of, and then at the start of this year, it's like a slow bleed for the last four months with these like glimmers of hope. Right. So, right. So how, how's it, how has everything, how has your, how has your strategy been doing and what kind of like refining have you done along the way to um, mitigate another COVID crash or another black swan event? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's funny because in, the rising star episode tom asked me about kind of some of the past experiences and i was talking about the last big drawdown which was q4 2018 and then like you said right after that we had q you know q1 of uh, 2020 so basically at the end of the rising stars i mentioned that like i kind of tightened up the risk management maybe started using some stops where because I, I didn't use stops before and so there was kind of some lessons learned and then 2020 happened and back then you know i wasn't kind of credit targeting and sizing everything identically the way I'm doing now. I was actually almost like rolling up the deltas or sizing up because I was trying to uh, pair my style with that concept of uh, selling high volatility or taking advantage of high volatility. And so what I didn't realize was the sequencing risk because there's high volatility. So if you sell out a premium, if you win, you make a lot of money. (laughs) But if you lose, you're just stacking bigger losers. So the whole idea of credit targeting actually came about because of the COVID crash, because we were doing, you know, we were doing the seven DTE, the 45 DTE, we, were, we started doing zero DTEs around late 2019. So we were, you know, a few months in, in, in COVID. And VIX during that time was like 60 or 80. And we were selling like humongous credits, like $3, $5. And, but it was, it seemed good. But since I was using stops, we would hit a stop and it would just be like a massive loss, even though it's two X, right? Cause the credit's so large. And we were like, there's gotta be a better way. So we're like, what if we try to collect the same amount of credit? Because then when you get stopped, you lose the same amount. And the thing is with high volatility, if you collect the same credit, you can go, and I've mentioned this before, lower Delta, or you can go further from the money or lower contract size, lower leverage. And, and so credit targeting was basically born as a result of the COVID situation. And that's kind of another example of kind of using the experiences to, to add another you know, piece to the strategy and make improvements. So I had, at- I, had, I had a similar experience like that. So I was selling spreads. I think they were 25 wide. And um, I was, I was legging in based on some indicators or whatever. And uh, I got into this issue of sizing. So I would always sell say 10 contracts and I would collect, I don't know, a thousand dollars, and then VIX jumps, and I'm collecting, you know, four thousand. But my now my stop though is three x higher too, you know. So you know, I, I have a week of wins, and then the VIX jumps, and I take a loss that one day, and it ate that whole week, and it was because my contracts are the same, but the credit received was vastly different. Right, right. That's whenever I, that, and then I think I came back to you, and I was actually talking to you about it, and then you were, we were started talking about credit targeting. And I was like, that makes all the sense. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Basically so. because we're doing stop, right? If you're rolling, that's one thing. If you have the bankroll to absorb the mark loss and hang on, then you can go ahead and set a larger credit. But if you're going to use hard stops, you can't basically have those outsized losses. That's the main concept. And that was, again, born from, from the COVID situation. So, and that was kind of a, a crazy year because we ended up, we ended up on the year, right? So after, of course, the initial drawdown, it was just like a straight line up. Like all the strategies were winning. It was like just winner after winner after winner. Zero DT was doing good. You know, back then, 
and for people who follow the podcast from the beginning, right, I talked about I was doing the two to three DTE, the 45 DTE, I was doing the seven DTE, like everything was just winning. So, um, but, you know, and I was following that methodology. So that kind of carried through at least for 2020 um, into 2021. And, um, but yeah, that was like a, a major shift um, from because of that Black Swan event. So definitely learn from that. So let's talk about the hedge fund a bit. Um, I think everybody kind of has that dream. If you're in this market, you know, like there's the story of uh, Ken Griffin, Citadel. You know, he's been cast into the fame because of the whole GameStop saga. But, he, you know, and it's the story of the hedge fund that he started in his college dorm. Or there's a, there's a female hedge fund manager who started her fund and does great. And it was like a dorm room hedge fund. And like everybody has that dream of like, you know, so I guess let's start back. Like, why? Why did why did you want to start a hedge fund? <laughs> I guess I, like, I can't why pin- would you want to manage other people's I money? Can't, I, I really can't <laughs> pinpoint the what got me onto the idea, but the concept of I'm already trading, I'm spending X amount of time, X amount of hours. And the funny thing is nowadays with a new strategy, I'm spending like <laughs> one minute a day, right? It's totally different. But the idea of scale, right? It's a business that you can scale your income without scaling the time spent, right? Because by purely by, you know, because you're, you're, you're earning a fee, right? On the asset you manage. And so for doing the exact same thing, purely by managing more, you're going to earn more. So that itself was appealing. And so, and, and, you know, like I've always been someone who is able to kind of like talk to people and express ideas that I felt like I could explain what I'm doing in a way that got people to at least trust that I know what I'm doing. Um, and so I just was like, let's just do it. And I did a lot, I did research and, you know, I wrote an essay, you know, people know where to find my essays on the trading page, but one of the essays was literally on how to start one. Like if you have the right, you know, it doesn't actually cost that much, right? The overhead in terms of when you talk about starting a business, it's not like a huge capital sink, right? So it was a relatively low risk proposition to try and get this thing going. Um, and I guess that was it. I, I just, I, I went for it. I had an idea and I was like, let's try it. And then, and again, it was, it was a lot harder than I could have imagined in terms of raising capital. I've been doing this three plus years now. So now this was like finally actually getting to significant capital. But like the first two years was a grind, which I guess that's like, honestly, what do you expect, right? All businesses have kind of have that three-year trajectory, right? To break even or whatever. So I guess that's kind of to be expected. Uh, But yeah, that was just the idea of the scalability. That was really appealing to me. And um, so I guess I know there's some uh, regulation around how you market a hedge fund. Like I know that it has to be like friends and family or like a pre, uh, like you have to know them prior. So like, are, is there plans or are you list? I know Barclays has like a hedge fund marketplace and I believe interactive brokers does too. Uh, is there plans to list the funds on there or are they already? I'm actually planning to list with interactive brokers. I just haven't finished the application because we, we finally hit the AUM limit um, and you have to have a one-year audited track record. Um, and so uh, for them, the regulation is a little different because they call it the investor marketplace and people who want to have access to those have to essentially uh, register as accredited investor. So it's, just, it's presumed that anyone looking at those things is qualified. Now, generally speaking, 
right? In terms of funds, if you want to build a market, you know, to the masses, right? Have commercials or a website or whatever, and talk about the returns and the strategy. You you basically have to verify and like actually not just ask them, and they don't have you know self certify. You actually have to do due diligence and you know check that your investors are qualified or accredited. Um, whereas if you are only marketing or one on one to people you know, I think that it was like pre existing relationship. That's the term that I think you're looking, yeah, that's for. What I was looking for. Um, then they can self certify, right? They just have to sign off that they meet the qualifications and you can take their investment. But with that, under that setup, right? I can't, right? I can say, hey, I'm a hedge fund manager, but I can't talk about this is the specific strategy. Here's the returns, right? You can't basically try to prime people to, to get interested. So it's uh, basically private solicitation only, um, which is fine because like, like I said, I'm going to say I'm not Ray Dalio, right? I'm not managing billions of dollars, right? This, if you think about it, like you can, right? And I talk about scale, right? In terms of depending on your fee structure, you don't have to actually manage that much money to earn you know, whatever you consider a decent income, right? So that was part of the appeal as well. And so, you know, I'm not trying to go for like a billion dollars, right? Even if you're trying to get 5 million, 10 million, right? If you know some people and things kind of pick up, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have like tens of thousands of people exposure to, you know, to your fund, right? You can easily get that. And for for the um the hedge funds limited to 100 investors anyway, so it's not like you can have like because if you're gonna stay private, that's kind of the limitation. This is not a mutual fund. I'm not listed with like Vanguard or something. This is not like ETF, so that's different, right? So with a private hedge fund is limited to 100 people, and so it's not like you're gonna be able to go out and get like tens of thousands of people anyways. Uh, so how what's what does it look like to expand that then? Is that when you start exploring like a mutual fund kind of? Sign yeah, up. have a listed product, but there's a lot of regulations or it can do an ETF, which is kind of the same thing, but it can be traded. Um, I've actually looked into it, but the costs are high because of technology and essentially it's all like electronically managed in terms of balancing your, your assets or whatever. Like the, the, the market makers basically do all that balancing for you on a daily basis. And so it's something like uh, 200 grand just to get it started and maybe like a 200 grand annual overhead just in terms of all the technology and all the service uh, providers and everything. So it's pretty costly, but that unlocks right, basically unlimited scale. Um, but yeah, unless you're trying to go for that, again, if you're being realistic and you're just trying to make like, you know, some, and again, what is a reasonable income is different for different people, but you don't have to have crazy amounts of capital to, to do well. I'm sure there's a lot of small kind of private asset managers out there. And then if I remember right, the hedge fund is kind of like a three-prong ap- approach, right? You have uh, the core, your core holdings, you have a zero-day prong, and then like the, the theta engine bomb shelter prong, correct? Yeah, not, not to get into too much details, but you know, pretty much like everything I've talked about on the podcast shared openly. And you know, there's a reason I don't get into specific allocation or specific returns, but the concept you know, because for me, I'm just trying to educate people and let them know that, hey, you can take these components and basically balance them and use them to your kind of specificity or your risk tolerance. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm using essentially, right? I'm eating what I cook. Let's put it that way. So I'm using all these pieces in terms of what I actually do with my business. Um, but the way I'm kind of like, like I said, I'm not getting into specifically how I do it 100% or what my returns are, but 
people recognize that they can take these pieces and use it for themselves the way they want to. Right. And I, I see it every day. You know, you got to pop in discord with people from a wide variety of net, li- net worth, uh, net liquidation values, I should say, that um, employ ver- various uh, variants of the, yeah, of the various that strategies that say various three times in a sentence. But yeah, it's three different or they're, they're putting their own spin on these strategies to fit their goals and uh, I guess their, their lifestyle and their, their capital. Yeah, and on the topic of the variance you mentioned, I wanted to touch a little bit upon kind of the rest of that trajectory of how my strategies evolved. Um, because so we talked about after COVID, learned that lesson. So f- 2020 finished out. 2021 itself was not too eventful um, until around so July. Um, I started, and I've been following this guy, Ron Bertino, and you know. A couple episodes back, I interviewed him, so definitely go check that out. He has this course called, course called the Portfolio Margin Trading Tactics. And it's a trading, took, domi- trading Dominion. Right? Trading Dominion is a website, and then PMTT, or Portfolio Margin Trading Tactics. So in, as a kind of detailed in that interview I did with him, I took the course. I joined his you know, Slack group, the, the Mastermind group, but that's like a really, really high-level kind of options course. And he has his own, you know, they have their own kind of trading systems and, and strategies that they use that are very good. But I didn't quite have the time to, you know, I, I took the course, but it's because I was doing my, my hedge fund, I kind of the strategies I was doing, I didn't have the time to try and experiment because I, I wasn't trading personal accounts anymore. I was just trading the hedge fund. And so I, rather than trying to change everything to do what they do, I took the concepts and applied them to enhance what I was already doing. And if anyone who followed the podcast, like I started that in around July of 2021, right? So I've been doing a podcast for, you know, about half a year, maybe a little bit more than that. And so what the result was, was essentially taking the two to three, the seven, the 45 DT, combining them all into just one 90 DTE kind of campaign style strategy, which we know as the theta engine today, right? So that took my concepts of the, the credit targeting and looking at premium capture rate, but changed the structure and chose the DTE in a specific way to take advantage of options behavior. And like, again, all that in the actual podcast episodes, but the Trinity system, the theta engine was kind of born out of that. And you mentioned Black Swan Hedge at one point, the bomb shelter example is a Black Swan Hedge because yes, I have the stops and thankfully, even in COVID with those circuit breaker days, right? There were some stops at the open that got gapped out, you know, three X, two and a half X, whatever. I mean, it's not terrible. And so, you know, people talk about with circuit breakers, can there ever be like a 20% down day? I mean, it's hard to say, we never want to see that. But, and so in, in theory, just having the stops alone should get you out of most of the trouble. But what if there is just that create? I mean, people who are like, think about me, I'm managing other people's money, number one, or if you're trading for yourself, but you have a significant sum and like, do you really want to like possibly be one blow up away from going bankrupt, you know, like, and so the bomb shelter, which is, you know, this black swan hedge. And I say it's optional because you may never need it, right? Like you're going to ride an airplane and like, hopefully you never crash. And so you don't really worry about like, you know, getting on that plane, but like, what if it does, right? So you just don't know. So again, those, and you talk about people can use these to their own lifestyle or their own kind of demeanor or risk tolerance. And so 
all of that evolution of the Trinity system, that was from taking Ron's course, kind of internalizing all those lessons and then just evolving my strategies. And from that all the way up through now, that's basically been an ongoing process. And that's kind of how all of that evolved. And so, and, and so that you can kind of see just from the beginning to end of like the different strategies I use, what my influences were and how I kind of came up with what I'm doing today. Yeah. I remember, uh, what your like the transition of like when you stopped the seven DTE and then you did the 45 and then it turned into more of a, it was a 24 days in trade. It wasn't right, even right. DTE. It was just 24 days in trade. And, it, but I think the gene- the baseline was like 60 DTE. Then it turned into no nineties better. And like, yeah. And if you go through the episode list, yeah, you you see the title. It was like the the title of the episodes (laughs) were evolving as the strategy evolved. Exactly. Yeah. It was all. And it's awesome to watch because like you built like this incredible like spreadsheet. It was, it's a Google sheet. It's not even anything crazy. And I I think it goes back to the initial, uh, like what we were talking about earlier, like anybody can do this type of thing. Like, you know, Google Sheets is free to everybody, and you built this and like this wild matrix that for backtesting and historical data and all this stuff. So, uh, and it, that's where the ninety DTE kind of shined. Correct. That's how yeah. we got, that's how we landed on ninety versus like sixty or forty five. Right, right. And then I had that episode with the data engine matrix, which was like testing all sorts of stuff. And you know, you can go even farther. Although it doesn't really seem seem that that beneficial. But you know, the point of doing all that, like just like with the Facebook group before, it was kind of like, I got a lot of help. I got a lot of ideas from connecting with other people. So I wanted to give back. And so I was sharing and I was posting my strategies. And before, you know, like you go on these groups and people just like post a random post, like, oh, here's a trade here. I made whatever, you know, $10,000 or whatever it is. And, and, and some people try to post like, okay, here's a log and here's what I do. Try to be a little more methodical. And then eventually the original Google Sheets was just a trade log. It was just like, okay, here is my log of trades. You can go follow this. All right. So that was a very bare bone, right? Because that Google Sheet now has like 20 different links that links to other Google Sheets. And that's been like iterating and adding content over time. But it was kind of born out of um, just wanting to share. And every time I had a different idea, I would kind of build another page or build another tool, right? Like you said, there's, there's, there's calculators on there. There's portfolio tracking tools. There's like a, like a probability simulator. Like I, I just want to build tools that like people can use to, it's just another way to teach different concepts. Like sometimes like I'll, even in my podcast episodes, I'll have like stuff that's like similar in nature, but I'm just kind of talking about it in a different way. So I'm trying to like hit concepts from all kinds of angles because eventually one of those will kind of resonate with something. But aha, now I finally understand what he's talking about. So a lot of that was just like all these years of, of, interaction with people. And that's kind of just like the way I kind of express and try to educate and, and spread the knowledge. Yeah. And we've, we've talked privately a lot about like the psychology of trading. And I think that those, those tools help with that too, because, you know, I can type like back to that win rate comment I made earlier, where I type in something in the spreadsheet and I see this and like, in reality, it might not feel that way, but you know, it always comes back and matches the back test and you're just kind of, it's hard to argue. But then, but with that comes a sense of calm and hopefully <laughs> not, we, we talk about it like, now, but I know there's days when we're not calm, you know, no, so. they're not, not they, they're not, but I, I do notice though, a lot more of a calm feeling on losing days. Like yesterday was a whipsaw back and forth. Um, the worst. It, it was my worst trading day I've had in a long time. 
But and, and any other day, I would have been like, that would ruin my night. Uh, you know, like this sucks. You know, whatever. But I know, I know that you know, Wednesday's a new day, and Friday's a new day, and it, it'll. And I have the conviction, and I, that conviction is supported by the tools that like you've built or I've built, and then we've built along the way to kind of like here's an idea. We've, we've traded the idea and like kind of proving the idea as well. And um, yeah, I, I think that those lend and the, I think that's the hardest part of trading to be honest is the psycho, the psycho, the psychological aspect of trading and taking a loss and be, or more dangerously taking a lot of winners. <laughs> yeah. Scaling up, scaling up, scaling up, and then take that, you know what Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, the thing is like you talk about psychology and without, Obviously, without a strategy or a plan, it's hard to keep emotions under control because you just take whatever comes at you, right? So having a plan is one thing. Having tools to kind of backtest and look at history and see context, that's another thing. But another thing is the having basically community, right? People to talk to and bounce ideas. And so the Facebook group was that for a while. And you know, people know I recently left the Facebook group. That was like a couple of months ago because I was focusing on the Discord. And I realized that was just another way to help people get involved and, and get engaged because the podcast is one thing, right? Listening to, you know, people I've said, you know, they learned a lot and they're able to kind of get some confidence and, and learn from my concepts by listening. But the Discord was a way to just get that additional element. I think that's kind of the one thing that might be lacking for uh, newer traders. I mean, not just new traders. I mean, anybody who's trading because it, it can be very lonely, right? So having a community in a group. And so um, I started at Discord because I wanted to, well, the Facebook group was for me a little bit starting to lose its value because again, it's a, it's a very noisy and there's not that I want everybody or everybody should do exactly what I do, but people, it's good to do different things and try different things. But because I kind of have focused on my way and been working on so long, I figured like, why not get a group together that at least understands what I'm doing, even if they're not following it to a T, but if they, we can have a discussion and use the same kind of terminology and at least be on the same page, because sometimes online, there's a lot of confusion. Like, People talk when I say, "Oh, here's my return." Right? There's three different oh, return on capital, return on margin, return on what, what are you talking about? You know, so like if we can get people that are, you know, uh, at least on the same page and and have the same grasp of the concepts, then I think it'll be more productive and not just talking about, "Hey, you know, doing my strategies with the Trinity system," but just about anything, right? Like, so now the Discord has all kinds of channels, there's like a zero DT channel, there's like personal finance, right? There's this channels for all the different brokerages just to have people, Hey, I have a taste of work question or interactive brokers question, or there's like a channel for, uh, I mean, there's a channel for technical analysis. And I always said, I don't use technical analysis. Like, I mean, it's fine if people want to talk about that, but I know that I, I want to build a community, not just for myself, but for people who follow me and listen to the podcast for them to have a sense of like, you know, the camaraderie. I, I think like we have a lot of fun, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we have fun losing together, right? That's the thing. At least you have that, you know, on, on the bad days, you know? No, and it is a lonely space because whenever you do get beat up, like, you know, and once you, at a certain point, you're start dealing with numbers that uh, your average person doesn't even have, like, they can't even acknowledge, you know, they can't even like fathom those numbers, you know, like and to tell someone, 
how do you go to somebody and say, Hey, you know, I had a bad, bad training day, lost, lost three grand a day, lost five grand a day. Like that would, that can make uh, someone else like physically sick. <laughs> so it is a lonely space and it's nice to have a community like that where, you know, we're all kind of all in it together type of thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully have, have, have some accountability, right. Cause it's like, well, that too. Yeah. I, I, um, I did like one-on-one coaching for a little bit uh, and I, I stopped because it wasn't really that scalable. It wasn't that fun, but like there were people who would come up and be like, Hey, you know, I just lost a hundred grand. I just lost 200 grand, 300 grand. And I'm like, wow. I mean, like I, I literally could have helped you. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say in hindsight. Cause like, you know, people do dumb stuff sometimes without realizing it. Like, it's just like, but like, wow, like you could have, I wish I could have prevented that, you know? So, but like, there's people in the group, like, and, and, you know, not that you have to share all your details, but there's people who do say like, Hey, this is my account size, or this is what I'm willing to risk. And like, and, and, and some people had, you know, maybe size too big and lost too much, but learned their lesson. But like, you know, people kind of help each other and, and, and actually be like, look, like, if this is your goal, we can kind of tell each other our experiences and learn from each other and like how, what's the best pass forth, what kind of strategies you use. So I think that in and of itself has been a, hopefully a lot of value, um, not just for me, but just everyone involved. I would, I, I would agree. I would agree. So what's it like? I know one of the big things um, with the strategy too, and you had mentioned it earlier is kind of like a return on time. So like the 90 DTs, like, 30 seconds, <laughs> 30 seconds every day in and out, you're done. So like, what is the day in the life of a hedge fund manager? For me, it's, and um, I don't get too much about kind of the other side. I mean, I do have a day job. Right? I have a regular nine to five. So I do my work. Right. But be, part of the reason I mentioned this before, like to minimize the time spent is because I don't have to impact my day job. Right. Like strategies where, I, the trading, right? I'm not watching the screen all day in terms of like having to buy or sell or like look for setups, right? You put the trade on, you let it run. For me, like I said, I have my day job, I have my trading, but in terms of like the fun side of it, right? I might schedule calls to raise capital with new investors or whatever. But honestly, a lot of time is just spent kind of researching, doing back testing looking at the logs and trying to see that everything's, you know, still working or trying to glean some insight, like, Hey, are things changing or, you know, trying new things. And in terms of like, Oh man, I mean, it's, it's the log. It's funny. Okay. Here's the thing. Putting the trade on is like 10 seconds. And then putting a, cause I'm manually setting like a bracket order, like literally building the stop is like, two minutes. <laughs> so, so putting that sound is, is longer than the actual trading and then logging it is like one minute, but the rest of the time is just like organizing a spreadsheet or doing back tests. Honestly, round days, like, and this was again, like, I don't think anyone can do this right from the get go, but this was, it was almost intentional. The way I shifted this, this focus was like, now I can focus on the things I enjoy, right? Like doing the podcast or, building the spreadsheets, doing the research, sharing the results, or just hanging out on the Discord, honestly, and just connecting with people. And so that was kind of the evolution. So, you know, there's the evolution in my strategy, there's the evolution in the trading, and then there's the evolution of like how I spend my time being engaged with the market. 
So that's why I asked is because I know you made a comment, I think like last week that you watch, is it, you listen to like one podcast a day. Oh, so many. So oh, many, actually, so many actually, hours. How did I forget? Okay. Every There's hour. X I'm amount of hours or something. <laughs> right. Every minute that's not doing one of the other things, I'm basically listening to a podcast. And then hopefully, you know, like I've got that podcast. Kind of, I'm trying to like share the best ones with people. Um, yeah. No, I guess always, always is learning. It all, yeah. Is it all finance? Like all options, all finance, economy, stock stuff, or like uh, a lot of it is finance, economy stuff. But there's actually some fiction or like horror anthology stuff, like different series I listen to, and then there's some uh, some just general economy or just like general news stuff. Um, but yeah, so no, how, a little bit of everything. How do you deal with a an overload of information? So like if it was me and I was crafting all this stuff and I'm listening to all these podcasts and they, you know, they're throwing ideas at me. Like how do you not? my one of my biggest weaknesses is analysis paralysis so like i get stuck because i have so much info and i'm just trying to sort it so how do you deal with an overload i guess uh normally i'm probably listening when i'm doing something physically that doesn't require mental power like just chores or washing dishes or something if i have to be listening if i happen to be listening while i'm actually doing something i i may just <laughs> space out and, and not catch it may, maybe i just like it just goes in one ear out the other so that's how i do it maybe you absorb too much you get the overload it's just like <laughs> if i can't process it i just won't so maybe i just miss half of it sometimes that's that add brain it just collects everything and it mashes it all together and tries to process it till it breaks <laughs> yeah um, so uh let's see what else, what else is there to discuss here so um i think uh no i think that pretty much covers most of the trajectory like i said i I wanted to have a chance to let people kind of in my head a little bit because I know what the last few months, last couple of years, I've been just posting content, right? Content, putting out studies or whatever. But, you know, and I was thinking, again, if to kind of try and be inspiring or at least let some people see behind the scenes, like, okay, if this guy just comes from this background, like I said, I don't have that finance background. I was you no know, engineer and just living my life, doing what I enjoy, but able to kind of make something out of it and share it at the same time. Um, I, I think, honestly, that was kind of the main point um, I want to, and, and like to have you on just to at least have something of a back and forth. I'm not just sitting there talking to myself. Um, but the last thing I think, again, now that I hadn't done, a, I don't think I had an episode where I talked explicitly about the discord i mean i mentioned in the show notes hey the discord's live so i get a little bit of emails in a while but now hopefully it doesn't explode right but uh, i want to take this chance to just like share the story let people know this is where i am now you know i'm i'm trying to keep people posted i did that q1 update episode of like hey data engine obviously didn't do that good in q1 but we're almost breaking even it's doing good and so i wanted to let people know like hey this is how i got from a to Z to where I am now, what I'm doing, the things I'm working on. And, you know, for the discord, again, that's kind of the, the main thing right now where it kind of brings it all together, that, that sense of community. And so just want to caveat, I don't want to make this kind of elitist thing, but I do. So there is sort of an entrance process, right? It is for mostly people who listen to the podcast. And again, there is sort of an entrance process. I ask some questions and, you know, you don't have to do exactly what I do the way I do it. But if you think you kind of like the concepts that we talk about and you want to learn, you're, you're, you're eager to kind of um, 
engage with like-minded people, you know, that's kind of what it's built for, right? So it was something that I want to be a part of myself, which is why I started it. And, you know, now it's, it's a pretty vibrant community. And, um, you know, glad that you're part of it, Kirk. I know we, we kind of go, it's, it's surprising we go back, like, I don't know, it's been like two years or something. So um, uh, yeah, I met you, uh, it would have been like early 19. Yeah, yeah. I joined the Facebook group and oh, and be, just since we're on the topic of Facebook groups and discords, one of the or none of the requirements to get the discord require money. It is not a paid group. So before the speculation starts. <laughs> yeah, well, no, look, I've, I've said this before. People ask me, does it cost anything? I say, yes, very expensive, but not money time right you know i have like if you go on my twitter feed right i literally my 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 pin tweet is kind of the quote unquote uh prep course or startup guide right i'm like look go to the faq listen to these episodes do this right it's going to be like three or four hours of listening content and getting up to speed if you're willing to put in that time and educate yourself and you still have that interest then you're you're very welcome so that's that's the cost we're not going to charge your money we're going to charge your time but you know good things in life cost something right yeah and i think i think that's what makes the community what it is because it's not you know when we were when we were talking about the facebook group it's you know you post your results and then you know newcomer just joined yesterday it's like what's theta engine and then you have someone answer them and then someone but they're like slightly wrong so someone corrects them and then it just goes off the rails whereas like in the discord everybody's probably trading some variation of it so like or at you least know, studied it, right? The point is, everyone's listening to podcast. They know what yeah. later, yeah, they know what Theta Engine is, and yeah, I, I I love the community, and like you said too, even outside of the actual trading strategies, there's um, there's like the full time traders channel that oh, so like many how, channels, always adding more. You, so, yeah. how do you live as a full time trader? You know, the TA channel, the real estate channel. There's a crypto channel that's not overrun with NFTs <laughs> and scams, and you know, it's it's great. You build something good, man. Uh, it's good. Yeah, but anyways, hey Kirk, but, thanks for uh, taking the time to to chat a little bit and uh, help, help me tell yeah. the story. Um, I will give but, the show uh, back to you now. Yeah, thank you. For, thanks for letting me take the reins for a day. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, looking forward to catching them again. And um, I guess we'll leave it there for now. And uh, as always, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit my trading page at www.thetradebusters.com where you'll find all the strategy mechanics and trade logs, as well as various essays I've written and other podcasts I recommend. And of course, now you can reach out or send me an email if you are interested in joining the Discord group. Finally, you can follow me on Twitter at The Trade Buster. That's it for today. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.